Hello. Welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. I took my dance shoes out of my backpack, right? My most valuable possession because I'm a dancer. I left them at a secondhand store that wasn't open yet. And I declared to God in the universe, I was like, I'll trade these in for a story. That voice you just heard is Brian Lucky Skillen, a pilgrim and Camino author who'll join us in a moment to talk about a series of Camino-inspired books he has written. But first, this is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago or the Way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. He journeyed out of the Holy Land in the wake of Christ's death and made his way to Spain where he sought to spread Jesus' teachings of love and light. He returned to the Holy Land and was martyred for his faith. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims walked the Camino each year to honour and be inspired by St. James. His image and likeness is everywhere you turn on the Camino, and St. James is the patron saint of Spain. And the most popular of many Caminos throughout Europe is what's called the Camino Francais, which winds its way from St. jean pied de port on France over the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. The joy of pilgrimage can be best summed up by the people you meet along the way. I know so many people via my Camino journey, people from all over the world. Indeed, I think the Camino makes the world a smaller place. But you can't help but feel a sense of community. If you've already walked the Camino, you'll have friends you made along the way that you still keep in contact with today. If you're planning on walking the Camino... Prepare to meet people keen to talk through some of life's big issues. And once you've finished these sometimes astonishing conversations, you can't help be closely connected to your fellow pilgrim. You can't help be concerned for them. You might feel empathy for them. You might be happy for them, even delighted for them. Listening will be the key to your collective journey. Learning will be the key to your own journey. And what you learn from others will help you on your pilgrimage the journey to your destination. My Camino friend Carl Sticklemeyer sent me a video of an old song by The Birds this week. It's called I Am a Pilgrim. The song was written by Roger Miller, who also wrote King of the Road. The lyrics to I Am a Pilgrim really touched me. I am a pilgrim and a stranger, travelling through this wearisome land. I've got a home in that yonder city, good Lord. And it's not made by hand. I've got a mother, sister and a brother who have gone this way before. I am determined to go and see them, good Lord, for they are on that other shore. I'm going down to the river of Jordan just to bathe my wearisome soul if I can touch the hem of his garment, good Lord, and I know he'd take me home. I am a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this wearisome land. I've got a home in that yonder city, good Lord, and it's not, not made by hand. Mario Moroni posted on the American Pilgrims on the Camino Facebook page this week. In the old days, the shepherds used to gather on the sides of hills to defend themselves from wild animals and bandits. One night, in the area now known as Estella, they saw many more shooting stars than usual falling down on the peak of the mountain towering over the valley. They decided to climb up to see what was going on. Once they arrived, they discovered a statue of the Virgin Mary in a cave. Surprised by the unusual finding, they decided to bring the statue to the local church in order to protect it. But despite the joint efforts of the shepherds, the statue didn't want to move, nearly as if a strange force was keeping it in place. 
The people from the valley, well impressed by this miracle, decided to build a sanctuary around the statue, and that is the city that they now call Estella. The Camino is full of stories like that, it's full of mythology, full of history and magic, and joyful narrative impacting the lives of so many people over so many centuries. Through the course of my Camino, the podcast, the pilgrimage of podcast, I suppose, my journey alongside you, I've heard so many wonderful stories of change and impact. Well, let's learn about a new book trilogy written by an American author that weaves its way through the history and myths of the Way of St. James, El Camino de Santiago. Brian Lucky Skillen is on the line from Virginia in the United States. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hey, Dan. Thank you so much uh, for having me on. And I got to say, after listening to that introduction, you are hired for the next audiobook. If I wouldn't have already booked somebody, <laughs> you have like the perfect <laughs> voice <laughs> for this. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Very kind of you. Now, you, you've written three books, the Field of Stars trilogy. But let's start at the beginning. Um, how did the Camino come into your life? Absolutely. So um, when I was, oh gosh, it must have been around 2007, 2008. So before I was an author, um, I'm a dancer. So I travel the world teaching dance and performing uh, all over the place. Every week was a different country or a different city. And uh, I had a break on tour and I was in Spain. I said, well, what are some fun things to do in Spain? And I looked it up and the Camino came up and I knew nothing about the Camino, like absolutely nothing. I didn't have any supplies. And this is back in 2008. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as well known as it is today. And uh, so I, uh, I, I looked and I went up and I ended up on the uh, Primitivo route instead of the French route. So I overshot yeah. and ended up on that route. And I remember getting there and I got off the bus and I was like, oh, what do I do now? I have, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, what, what you do when you feel lost, right? You go to the church. So I went to the church and uh, they told me about credentials and I had to get a pilgrim's passport. And I checked into the albergue and I was the only person in a 50 room dorm just by myself. And I, I was like, okay, because it was off season, you know, it was like October, November, it was getting cold. I had no gear with me. I had no sleeping bag. I had nothing with me. And uh, so the next day I kind of started following the arrows out. But uh, back then the, the path wasn't very mar marked very well. And so I got really lost and I didn't see an, another person for the entire day. And actually the only other creature I saw that day was a horse, <laughs> essentially. And um, I ended up just kind of pushing my body harder and harder and harder until the wee hours of night when I finally found a town. But the result of that was I injured my knees. And every day after that, as I walked, it progressively got worse and worse and worse until the last day um, when I had to make a decision, right? I, I, I couldn't walk into Santiago. I had like, what was it, 20 kilometers to go to make it. And I had to take a bus. <laughs> and, you know, oh. after pushing through so much pain and so much to get there, I, you know, I'm a very determined person. So I was like, I will make it. But at that point, I was like, I, I can't. So I took this bus and I, I, I had to use two sticks to kind of like hobble along. I, I went to the cathedral anyways, and I, I sat down and there was only, or I walked in and there, I only saw one other person in there. Uh, and it was this older lady and she was crying. And so I walked up to her and I asked her if I could just hold her. You know, I said, are you okay? And I, I gave her a big hug and I sat down 
And I found out that she had taken a pilgrimage. Her husband, she, her husband had died the year earlier. She didn't know what to do with her life. And she had MS and she had taken a pilgrimage down on the Camino in a van and she hadn't had any interaction with any, any other pilgrims. And it was just like, I realized in that moment, like if I, if I wouldn't have gotten injured, I wouldn't have been able to be there for this person as she's going through wow. this just like moment of distress in her life. And we sat there, like I held her, she held me and we cried. And it was just like this beautiful, beautiful, life-changing moment, you know? And at that time I realized, you know, sometimes when things seem bad, they turn out to be just incredibly good and experiences that you will take with you for your whole life. And, you know, with that, like the, the Camino was planted in my heart and just the, the goodness of being there and the effect it has on you and the way it works on you. And, um, and uh, <laughs> so I didn't finish. Right. So like I had to take a bus the last day and I wanted to walk all the way. So I vowed to myself that I would come back and walk again. So fast yeah. forward to uh, 2017. I, uh, I, I just had gone through a bad breakup, didn't really know what to do next. And I was like, it's time to go back to the Camino. <laughs> and so yeah. um, I was on another pilgrim, uh, like uh, another tour in Europe uh, with dancing. And I, uh, I decided to do the pilgrims. I started in Burgos and I walked out. And after two days, I got to the Ark of San Antone. And I saw that and I said, my God, what is this? This is absolutely amazing. It looks like it should be in Game of Thrones or Lord of Rings or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, right. it's just like walking yeah. under that. You just feel like you're going into a yeah. different time and place. And just beyond that is uh, the hilled city of Castle Jerez with a, yeah. with a castle on top of the hill and the churches. And my breath was taken away. I was like, this is incredible. And then I continued on and I checked into the albergue and the stamp for the municipal albergue was uh, the cross of Jerusalem, which has uh, five Templar crosses on it. And I said to the guy, ah, the Knights Templar. And he said, the Knights Templar. And I said, yeah, what do you know about the Knights Templar? And he said, I don't know. What do you know about the Knights Templar? And we got into this <laughs> great, great conversation about the history of the Templars in that city, as well as the history of the Templars on the entire Camino. And I found out, you know, he was even saying, you know, some things like there's a bunch of old Templars buried under the Ark of San Antone and the the hills of the city. There's tunnels underneath the hill of Castle Jerez. So they, he said that they used to do ceremonies in there and hide treasure. And, you know, and he also said that the Templars left, you know, uh, symbols behind on the Camino and just to keep my eyes open and look for them. Right. right. Dude, I, I'm telling you, it was amazing. I was so hooked at this point. And uh, I took the, my dance shoes out of my backpack, right? My most valuable possession because I'm a dancer. And I, uh, I left them at a secondhand store that wasn't open yet. And I declared to God in the universe, I was like, I'll trade these in for a story. And so every day after that, as I walked, people became characters in the book. The things I saw be, like actually happened. I started to see all the symbology everywhere, especially inside the cathedrals. And it, this, the book played like a movie in my head. I would wake up at 4 a.m. and I would start walking under the stars by myself. And as I'd walk, it it just played. Like this entire book series just played and I dictated into my microphone uh, exactly what I was seeing. And like I said, my Camino family became characters. And, you know, like one that's super dear to my heart was the Scottish brother and sister. And they were, oh, they were hilarious and they were drunk and just like really funny and Nobody could understand her when uh, when uh, she spoke because she had a thick Glaswegian 
accent. So the more she drank, the less you could understand her. <laughs> right? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So um, <laughs> as we're going, as we're walking along, I find out his whole life, he always wanted to be a Knights Templar. But I also find out too, that he is dying of cancer. And this is one of the last, last things, you know, that he's doing. Like, it's kind of like his last hurrah beforehand because it was terminal. Oh. And um, so anyway, so my book is like homage to him. I made him eventually become a character. Like he became a character, but he also eventually becomes a Templar. <laughs> no spoilers. It's okay. It's not that big of a spoiler. But, um, you know, so like, like really every person you meet in here in your introduction, you say you meet these amazing people and you take them with you and continue relationships. So these yeah, people yeah. touched my life and influenced me so much that I put them into the book. Granted, it's, it takes place in like the 1300s, so it's like 1300s them. But, you know, it was my way of sharing these beautiful people with the world. So fast forward. So I, I get through, I finished the Camino. It was epic. So many great stories about it. But um, I, uh, I come back. And so I've dictated everything. But now there, there's only one problem, right? So uh, I actually grew up with dyslexia in a third grade reading and spelling level in high school. So I, writing a book was something that I never uh, thought I would do. I always say, you know, God has a sense of humor. I was really uh, large when I was young. I was over 100 kilos and only five foot tall. And I became a dancer later. You know, I lost like 60 pounds dancing. Um, and then, you know, I was dyslexic and now I'm becoming a writer. So I always say God kind of has a sense of humor <laughs> with this. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, that's a story. It's like you never itself. know. What, Gosh, you never know what you're going to be yeah, called yeah. to. Like you have no idea. But I felt so strongly yeah. about this. I was willing to overcome any challenge I had to get it out there because I think when you're given something, you're you have a you have a responsibility to bring it to fruition. And I, I tell you, like just the way I saw this, there was no way I could ignore it. And so what I did was I, uh, I committed myself to writing 2,000 words a day no matter what. Like, that, was my, that was my goal. And uh, at first it took an yeah. incredibly long time because I was learning about the rules of grammar and spelling. And like I didn't know where commas went. Heck, I still don't know where commas go. I have a big book that helps me with that. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, so I really kind of wow. had to reteach myself the English language as I'm going through this. But I stuck to my commitment. And within, um, you know, about 50 days, I had, I had written a hundred thousand page novel and I thought, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I was so surprised. I was like, what really? Okay. <laughs> um, and anyway, so like, yeah, I was super surprised and I thought it was the best thing ever. I was like, this was divine. Amazing. And then I took him to my girlfriend who is, uh, my wife now, and I let her read it and she's like, uh, actually, this needs work. <laughs> and so I ended yeah, up right. spending, even though I wrote the book in, in like 50 days, I spent about two and a half years to three years uh, actually learning the craft of writing, getting mentorship, like going through and really doing it. Then I send out query letters to over 50 agents. I get uh, 48 rejections and only uh, two write back and, and they give me rejection letters, right? So the other ones didn't even bother to write back to me. I decided, okay, I'm going to put it on the shelf for a second. I take another Camino uh, in 2018, and same thing happens. I, I get totally inspired to write a second book in the series. The people I met then became characters as well to go along with the first ones. And the things like it just played. You know how, you know how there's all this serendipity on the Camino? Like there was just moments that were so serendipitous that I can't even explain. 
And, you know, like one of these, like even to get there, right? So I was supposed to go five days earlier, but Ryan Air went on strike. And so I lost like five days of my Camino, but it was perfect because I met the most amazing people. And as we were going, all the festivals were happening. I even got to run with the bulls, which kind of makes it into the book as well. And wow. so like, had I been that five days earlier, I wouldn't have met these people once again, that were just like the perfect characters for the book and having these experiences right down to it. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. Like the Camino is so cool. And that's why it's my goal with this book to, uh, with the series to, uh, I want to inspire a million people to go walk the Camino to Santiago. So that's like my big overarching goal. I've, I've said it, <laughs> you know, there it is. It's, I already have like five down. So I only have like, was it 900,999? <laughs> just joking. <laughs> so I have a few more to go. And as we progress, I was going to start it this year, but I'll probably start it next year. I'm going to take 10% of the proceeds from book one and put it to a Camino scholarship fund because I want to put my money where my mouth is as well. And so I want to start a fund for people who may not have the funds to go to the Camino. And then once a year, um, people will be able to apply for this scholarship and we will uh, support a, a pilgrim to go do at least a week on the Camino. It depends on how many books we sell. If we sell more books, then I'll sponsor you know, more, more pilgrims. But as of right now, with what I have, that's about what I can do. Life is service, right? And I really, I really want to help people. And I really want uh, people to go to the Camino and have a life-changing experience. And I don't want funds to get in the way of that or that they're thinking about funds to get in the way. Because I've seen people walk the Camino without any money whatsoever. Like, you know, I remember one fellow I met, he, has this happened to you? Let me just ask you this real quick. Have you ever judged somebody on the Camino and then they come back and you realize, you know, they're the people that have the biggest lesson to teach you? Have you ever had that? hundred percent. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm Without question. I'm walking, I'm walking and all of a sudden I kind of smell somebody. Like I have a pretty keen sense of smell and I smell something and I look around and this guy like, and he's walking in his jeans and it's like, you know, a hundred degrees out, like super hot. It's like, why doesn't he just put on shorts or take a shower or something? And, you know, some like judgmental kind of like going through my head about it. Later, he catches up to us. Like we eat lunch, whatever, different places. And then he ends up being the only one on the Camino with us. I, you know, I'm like, oh, great. That guy is going to walk with us. And then I find out <laughs> that he left his own without any money or any bags or anything in Italy, like God just told him to go and he went without anything. And he's been walking the Camino and he's been wearing these jeans because that's all that he has. And, you know, I, at this point, I just felt like such an a-hole, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, oh my God, I just judge this person who is following like this order from God and doesn't have anything and he's here. And so oh. I gave him, I gave him a pair of my shorts you know, I had three pairs, so I, I gave him a pair of my shorts and asked him to like join us, but he just continued on. But, you know, it, it's moments like that, that I think that angels, you know, I think maybe he was an angel that came in and just was like, yo, I got a lesson. <laughs> yeah. Great story. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that if, if we can take that, if that's the only thing we take back with us from the Camino, what a wonderful gift to have received. Hey, absolutely. I mean, don't, don't judge people. Then, you yeah. Know? Who, huge. Who are we to be judges? Absolutely. And you know, like, and I always find it's, it's the people that you judge that have the biggest lessons for you because they're, they're bringing up something in yourself that you haven't faced yet, or you haven't dealt with yet. And they are the, like, learn from them. Like, you know, and we talk about this in the book. So these lessons, so, you know, the Camino is a spiritual experience. So like 
my book is a spiritual adventure. It's kind of a mix between Da Vinci Code, The Alchemist, and uh, Lord of the Rings. So if you can imagine all those coming together, that's that's <laughs> okay. essentially what it is. Um, so it's marketing it is very interesting. <laughs> Which way do you go? Walking from Lourdes to Saint Jean in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, it's about 230 kilometers or something, and you walk uh, with the Pyrenees. Oh, over your left shoulder the whole time amazing. and it is uh, it is exactly like lord of the rings it's totally like, right you keep thinking that all the time the other thing you keep thinking is it's the alchemist it's and then it's yeah it's it's amazing that you kind of you'd said those three books because that's exactly what my experience has been like that's so cool i love it i love it and then and then we have the da vinci code part too because uh as i traveled like i kept seeing these templar symbologies inside the churches and so i i put together a secret templar code that's kind of like the book so in the book they're trying to figure out what the templar code is um as as they're traveling and what i love most about this is you know you read lord of the rings and it's a fantasy world that you can't really visit right guess what we created a fantasy world that you can go visit today how cool is that yeah like that's awesome right i I can't wait for people to start like larping like live action role playing this book on the camino that'd be hilarious that'd be so funny (laughs) you just said larping right yeah i've never heard that before yeah live action role Role playing playing. yeah so it's like um, medieval recreationists will go and like do recreation of the medieval times and have camps and whatever um so Anyways, it would be fun for people to pretend to be my characters and go walk on the Camino. I remember, oh God, I got so many stories for you. Um, um, hold on. So let, let me finish about the publishing of the I book. I can't get over the laughing. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, laughing, right? right? It's kind of, it's kind of a funny story. I just yeah. want to touch on one thing you mentioned. You said you started to see um, Templar symbols in, in churches. and mm-hmm. like, like what? What did you see? Well, a lot of different things, um, you know, and there was, a, there was a lot of Masonic sim- symbology as well inside the churches. Yeah. So a lot of that, you know, you'll have the compass and, and, the, um, and the square in there. And it, when they're positioned in different ways, it means uh, different things. So in Lyon, the day that I was there, it was, it was Good Friday. And I went into the church and I was kind of listening to the thing and they, they had all the all the alcoves open and usually the alcoves are closed and shut and behind in, in, in the cathedral, there's the, the Virgin Blanco, right? Which is the statue of the Virgin Mary that was on outside on front. Uh, But they put the real one inside and put a replica outside and underneath the entrance. And so the alcove that she's in is completely closed and um, it has some very interesting things inside that alcove. So one of the things on the right is a man with antlers coming out of his head, right, with leaves on it. Uh, just opposite that is a goat head, which is kind of interesting. But the most interesting was behind behind the statue was a severed head, and uh, but not just like a normal severed head. Like this was this was a very interesting severed head, right? right. And I went back again, and the, the thing was closed, so I couldn't go in to see it. But the severed head. Um, there's a lot of mythologies that go back around that. And in the um, in Templar mythology, like when they were when they were being persecuted for um, by King Philip IV of France in 1307, uh, like one of the things that they were accused of was worshiping a severed head. 
and that they called that had uh, bamfomet, which had later in later years was uh, represented by like a, a goat headed deity and with the with the pentagram on it and all that stuff. But that came much later, like much much later. Originally, it was supposed to be this severed head that they worshipped. And so it's really interesting that these three things, like you have the nature um, guy with antlers coming out, which in some places I read was uh, could have been Moses, but in other ones it's uh, it's another character from uh, another mythology, and then the goat head, which can represent certain things. But I, I don't want to give away my code, but that's just like one example. Also, in that church is green right. green men. Uh, there's the green men, which are um, uh, there's the reliefs of or carvings of faces with uh, vines coming out of the mouth. And uh, so those are called green men. They're found, uh, it's, a, it's a Celtic, uh, it's a Celtic deity. And they're found in a lot of churches all throughout Europe. But there's a super high concentration of them inside the church in Lyon. So that's like, so I took those things that I was seeing. And I didn't know it at the time. Like, I didn't know that they were going to be, I, like, I knew something was interesting and weird about this. And then later I, I went and I did research and I was like, oh, what does the severed head mean with Templars? Oh, what is this dude with horns? Oh, what is what is what does that goat head mean? You know, and then from there I built out this code. So uh, and then like even even in the Cathedral of Santiago itself, there's the the giant pillars right inside the cathedral. Yeah, yeah, and the pillars yeah. have um, the Masons marks on them. So they have carvings on them um, that represented which query uh, quarries the stones came from. Right. But also yeah. mixed in with that are are some symbols from uh, different coding systems, which is which kind of itch and, and also astrological, I, I like coding systems. Like it's very interesting. Like the more research you do, you can see different things in here. But you know they say like there's a quarry mark that goes back to each quarry. But in my world building world, right? There's a secret code of the of the uh, of the Templars left inside. You know they they mixed it in there. Uh, amongst the masons marks because you know they hide them in plain sight right so sure. only somebody who knows how to how to read them so, you know can do that so just stuff like that you know um i'm fascinated by your ability to see those things well you know it's like it's like a yellow car right when you when you have a yellow car you start seeing yellow cars everywhere <laughs> what came first your interest in them or did you see them and then go away and do your research or or did you see them and then the, go back to the albergue that night and do your research. I just got a feeling, you know, when you get a feeling, <laughs> like, wow. like I, you know, like this goes with sy- sy- synchronicities and serendipities, right? It was just like, I'd be in a church and I was like, Oh, maybe I should go this alcove. And th- here's another one in um, Pamplona, right? There's, there's some very yeah. interesting things in Pamplona, actually like more Masonic inside the main cathedral, but there's an older cathedral there that San Saturno, it used to be a cathedral at one point in time. And I mean, it still is today. And in one of the alcoves there, um, there's a uh, there's a there's a, a relief like a carving of, I, I guess it, I, maybe it's the rapture, but like above God's head, right? You have you have the the triangle with the eye inside of it, right? Yeah. Which is like yeah. an Illuminati symbol or a symbol for other things, but it's also another thing. To, I mean, there's just so much stuff. And usually, a lot of the churches would that I'd find stuff in would have just the Templar cross inside of it. So if I saw a Templar cross inside a church, I knew most likely I would find something else um, in there. Mm. And so I've learned a lot more about these, but as I was doing the Camino, like I wasn't an expert, but these things just kept popping up. And then when I came back, 
like I knew the severed head was important inside this church, but I didn't know what it meant until I came back and I was writing. I was like, oh, we're in Leon. What happened in Leon? Oh, yeah, I saw that crazy thing. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, well, the severed head, that, that's got to be that. And that man with the horns, that's that. I'm sorry, I can't remember that name off the top of my head. Like in the book, you have like the, the, uh, the Tolkien, like great epic adventure along a beautiful, amazing landscape, right? And then you have the Da Vinci Code aspect yeah. where they're decoding the secret code as they're going. And my lead protagonist in it, in it is Princess Isabel of France, who is King Philip's daughter who is an actual character, like live person. Um, and so she's walking the Camino trying to figure out where the secret code is for her father because it's, um, it's her only chance of not getting married. If she doesn't find it, then she's going um, to have to marry King Edward of England, right? But if her father gets the Templar's most valued treasure, then she won't have to. So that's kind of her motivation in there uh, when she's coming into it. And... You know, at the time, I didn't know. <laughs> it, it's funny, this book has changed so much. When I, when I first started, I had a, a white male as a protagonist. And by the time, yeah. it, t- time it finished, the uh, the lead protagonist became Princess Isabella, right? A young woman. And then the love interest actually uh, became, uh, he's like a person of color, right? So he's the Black Templar, you know, like he's like the only Black Templar in, in the history books in, in this. And so he became... He became that, but it didn't start out like that at all. The first book is about overcoming yourself. The second book is about overcoming the sins of the world because the tagline for that is hunted by the seven deadly sins. Two, must, two nuns must deliver a message for the, communi- uh, for the Knights Templar across the Camino de Santiago before it's too late. So I'm going from like your personal to the sins of the world to uh, original sin is going to be what the third book is about. Um, but all worked in within this Templar code and all worked in with this. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I never thought I could write something like this and I, I'm still like super surprised. The interesting part about it is that writing is very difficult. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not easy. It's often the editing and the rewriting and the refining that is, is a, is a challenge. Do you enjoy it? I, I love it. Like, I love it as much as dancing. Yeah, right. And like, I never, I didn't expect that. And you're so right about the editing. You know, there's this great quote that says, uh, per- perfections when there's not anything left to add, but when there's nothing left to be taken away. And really, the editing is, is like the alchemy of writing. So you're boiling down to its purest form. And when you have that, then you put it out into the world. And it's a team sport, man. So like with the first book, we I finished writing and we got these rejection letters, right? And like I said, when you're given something so big, you can't hold it to yourself. You got to get it out there. And so yeah. what I did is I turned to Kickstarter. And uh, the reason why is it's expensive also to write a book. I mean, I could just throw something on Amazon for free, but it needs to be edited. It needs to have a good cover in order to make the impact that I want my books to have the impact on. And so I ran a Kickstarter for it and we ended up raising like uh, over $10,000. We did $10,000 in pre-sales uh, for the first book. So I was able to hire an editor who had uh, worked with um, USA Today bestselling books and New York Times bestselling books. And she was expensive, but well worth it. <laughs> but um, and then, uh, you know, so then we went through the editing process and then you have your formatting and your cover and my cover uh if there's if there's on there um 
I can't show you because we're not on video, but if you look at the cover, I have the, the, the shell with the cross on it, which is the symbol for the Camino in St. James. And behind it is uh, secret code, right? So in the background, you can see that there's all these kind of like symbols. And after you read the book, you can actually decode what the cover says. So I put hidden codes inside the cover. So after you read Fantastic. it, yeah. So after you read it, you can go back through and decode it. Writing is a gift. Um, and you're a dancer as well. You've mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah. The gift of music and movement is is just such a wonderful thing. Not everybody can dance. We all know that. Yeah. But how does being a dancer and interpreting music through dance manifest itself in in helping you put words on a page, do you think? I don't know if it helped me put words on a page, but it taught me dedication, you know? Like I, sure. I started dancing at 15. Uh, by 18, I was teaching. By 20, I was teaching nationally. By 22, internationally. But I had to dedicate. I went every day and I dedicated my life to it. And it was like yeah. at my time, at that time, this is interesting too, right? So my purpose, like I felt like dancing really saved my life because I was heading down a really bad path. I mean, I was way overweight. I was a bully. I was doing all this stuff that I shouldn't be doing. And then I found dancing. And, you know, I had this moment. You know, you have those moments where you talk to God in the universe and you're just like, all right. So when I was 15, this is every 15-year-old boy, boy's dream. I was like, I want to be thin. I want women to want me. I want guys to want to be like me, right? <laughs> so I had, <laughs> I had that inclination. And within a year, I had all of it. I like it was incredible. And at that moment, I realized reality is what you make it. I felt called, I felt like dancing really saved my life. So I wanted to share with as many people as possible. So it became my life's purpose to share dance with as many people as possible. And, you know, I've influenced hundreds of thousands of people around the world with it. And then I reached the top and I was found myself unhappy. You know, I was doing it. I, mean, I was traveling six, nine months out of the year, every week, different country, different city, 2000 people on stage in front of them, like doing this whole thing. But I was a little empty on side. It was really interesting. And what I realized was that sharing dance with everybody wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to help and inspire people. And I think what happens is at different stages in your life, you're given different tools. And when I was a young man, my tool was dancing to help and inspire people. And I feel like I fully lived it and it was awesome. And now I think uh, now I've been given the gift of writing to be able to help and inspire people. And that's my goal with this book is I want to help people by encouraging them to, I, and I want to help inspire people to take a adventure of a lifetime on the Camino de Santiago and really have it work on them. I don't I mean, maybe my work will do it personally, but my real goal is to get them there so that they can actually have that experience themselves. You said earlier in the interview that, you know, life is service, right? Yeah. And you've kind you're kind of using your motivation to motivate others, which is a really which is a really great goal, a really great work, a, a great motivation for you too. The books um take the readers on this journey alongside you. And it's about discovering, as you say, the wisdom of the Camino yeah. de Santiago. Yeah. What do you mean by the wisdom of the Camino? The wisdom of the Camino goes into, I've, I just learned so many spiritual lessons like going through there. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, like you, the, the guy with the pants that I told you or on the Camino, yeah. um, on the, on the Camino, the, the one 2017 where I got inspired to write the first book, 
I, uh, <laughs> I ended up getting really sick. Uh, so the first one, I hurt my knees, right? But then the 2017 one, I, I, I couldn't keep anything in my body. And um, as I, I kept walking, so I walked for several days and I wasn't able to keep anything inside me. And I got more and more dehydrated. I went to a, um, to a pharmacist and a doctor and they gave me a wrong prescription. It didn't help at all. And, you know, I had made that vow to walk into Santiago, so I wasn't going to quit. Also, I was, I was reading this book called South by Sir Ernest Shackleton, which is just one of the most amazing books in the world. I highly recommend it. And uh, they're Arctic explorers. And everything that could go wrong goes wrong. But they're like, ha ha, tis nothing. The men are jolly today. We had a half ration of tea. You know, so even though like their ship is sinking and they're freezing to death, they're like, ha ha, it's just nothing. So that, so my Camino, whenever anything, whenever anything would happen to me, I was like, ha ha, it's just nothing, ha ha, it's just nothing until nothing become, became way too much for me. So finally, as I'm doing the Camino, oh, that's I, funny. as I'm doing the Camino, I, I get to my last days and I can't keep up with my Camino family because I just can't walk, you know, like. Once again, my yeah. body's completely de- depleted, but two nurses, of course, the Camino provides right away, two nurses, the German nurses that I met before caught up to me in this, in this town or in this little albergue, and they ended up walking me all the way into Santiago. So I had two nurse ex- escorts there. And then when I'm in Santiago, uh, I, go to one doc- I go to one doctor's office and um, they say, uh, sorry, we, you know, we, we can't treat you here. You have to go to a private hospital, you know, and they're, they're like, it's going to be expensive, but we can't treat you here. And so I go to this private hospital, I get in there and the lady who checks me and she's like, will your insurance take this? It's going to be expensive. I was like, I have no idea. You know, like I, here I am like half delusional because I can't keep anything in my body. And, yeah. you know, like I have no idea. And, and so I'm on the phone with my insurance going back and forth, but she, you know, she sees me waning and she comes into the room and she's, she has this big smile on, on her face. And she said, the doctor will see you now. And I said, what? She said, the doctor will see you now. I'm like, but I haven't, she's like, don't worry about it. He said, it's a treat for a pilgrim. And so, man, I'm getting all warm and fuzzy again. I go in there and there's a jolly looking man and he's, he's like, Peregrino. <laughs> I go in there and he treats me and it turns out I had E. coli. And so I had E. coli in my system Gosh. and I had to get like these antibiotics and they had to do a test and everything. Um, and so I got the antibiotics and within two days I was finally able to hold stuff in my body again. But what I learned from that, the spiritual lesson I learned from that was I had this ego of ha ha tis nothing i can do anything da 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 right and i had to get knocked yeah, down yeah. and i had to really get emptied I, like i was emptied before god could fill me up again and so like like emptying myself of my ego emptying myself of who i was emptying myself of that life of where i was like kind of a rock star in that world just empty in order to be reformed again and to let go and just to be built back up and so like for me that was like the miracle of that like the sickness that I had taught me such a valuable lesson um, coming into it. So I like, you know, that was a spiritual lesson I took away from that. We're just going to pause the interview for a moment 
Brian has asked me to read uh, a couple of pages from his book and we sort of talked back and forth about which particular section I ought to read and he, he suggested this and I agree entirely. This is a wonderful little passage of the book. I know you'll enjoy it. The caravan stopped for the midday meal when the sun was at its zenith. On either side of the Camino, barren fields stretched for miles. Some would find it desolate, but Etienne found it beautiful. Something about its emptiness made him feel whole. Perhaps it wasn't the scenery, but for the first time in his life, he was surrounded by others who looked like him. There were several people in the caravan who had dark skin just like his. He had been the only person of colour at the palace in France, and at the Ark there were Spaniards, but he was still different. The Templars treated him as a brother and equal, yet even there he once heard an old Templar say that Etienne reminded him of the enemy. Etienne moved away from the caravan for his noontime prayers. It was his daily ritual and constant companion on all the miles he had travelled. For him, the journey inside was much more important than the journey outside. The other travellers sat in the shade of the coaches with their shoes off, all trying to prevent blisters. Pilgrims dined and laughed in little groups of three or four. Some slept, others drank. The storks were in the fields, always just out of reach. Their long, slender bodies and expansive wingspan added a certain sort of mystique to the land. Etienne bowed his head. My lord, I pray you will forgive me for the lives I have taken in defence of your pilgrims. The scared face of the moor Etienne had killed in Castrajires flashed into his thoughts. Etienne shook his head. It couldn't have been him. Etienne hadn't told the others why he froze at the boathouse when he'd seen the shadow's face. It was the face of his dead moor staring back at him. It couldn't have been him. Are these shadows the souls of the people I have killed? Did they come back to destroy me and those I care for? Etienne grabbed the crucifix that hung around his neck tightly, and blood ran down his hand. He ignored the pain. He had taught himself how to numb his senses long ago. A lifetime of violence had caused him to adapt. He focused on his breath. Forgive me for the lives I have taken. His meditation was broken by the sound of running water. He opened his eyes to see an old pilgrim close by relieving himself. Etienne loosened his grip on the crucifix and wiped the blood on his garments. When the pilgrim finished, he turned and laughed. Oh, I didn't see you sitting there, he said, laughing again. His long grey beard and wrinkles accentuated his laughter. It seemed that each line etched into his skin held all the smiles the pilgrim had ever smiled. He was tall and slender with powerful muscles that supported his wiry frame. Etienne had never seen eyes like his before. They had a certain brightness and almost seemed to glow. Do you mind if I join you? The old pilgrim asked, reaching for his staff. As you wish, said Etienne. Why are you on the Camino? The old man's question reverberated through Etienne. It felt like the question was posed directly to his soul. I was ordered here, Etienne said, trying to make his voice sound confident. However, to him it sounded hollow. Ah, I see, the old man stroked his beard. Some choose this path and others are called. You have been called. What does that mean? He tried to maintain eye contact, but the weight of the stranger's gaze made it impossible. 
There is a saying that the Camino will provide whatever you need. You are needed here. If you didn't choose of your own free will to be here, it means there is a great need for you on the road. Gathering his composure, Etienne looked at Isabella and the other pilgrims. It was as if this man could see past his answer to the truth, a truth he was just realising. He was here for Isabella. Why are you here, old man? I have always been here, the stranger extended his arm. Give me your hand. Etienne tried to resist the order, but the pull was too strong. A wound just like my lord's, said the old man. You carry the burden of suffering. Like him, you have taken on a heavy task. The pilgrim clasped Etienne's hand between his own and held it. When he released his grip, Etienne's wound was healed. Etienne dropped to his knees and bowed his head. He couldn't believe his senses. He had just witnessed a miracle. My lord, he whispered. A mixture of gratitude and joy fountained inside him for the first time in his life. He was feeling jubilation. Rise. I am not your lord. I am a servant just like you. I cannot, Etienne said without rising. I am not worthy. Rise, commanded the old pilgrim. Etienne's body followed orders without his consent once more. The old pilgrim's eyes burned brightly. I have been ordered to show you something. The Camino always provides. The pilgrim slammed his large staff on the ground. On impact, a ring of fire burst forth and rippled off to the horizon. As it stretched out, everything slowed in its wake until time came to a standstill. The pilgrims stood motionless. When time had almost stopped, something strange happened. Miniature comets appeared, streaking above the ground. The slower time went, the more comets appeared. When time had completely stopped, Etienne looked around and saw thousands of these comets surrounding him. They stretched to the horizon, shooting through anything that stood in their way. Some were gold, others green, and some were brilliantly white or silver. Each was a glowing ball with a tail of light tracing after it. The ones that were the last to appear had the longest tails, stretching for hundreds of yards. What is this? Etienne managed. He was in awe of this second miracle he was witnessing. The old pilgrim let out a laugh that echoed and shook the small comets. Each comet struggled to push forward past the invisible force, holding them fast. These are the prayers of the pilgrim. He reached down and picked up the closest one. It was only a few inches in length. His long, slender fingers pinched the trembling prayer and brought it to Etienne's eye level. He stretched the blazing green prayer apart with both hands. It expanded, making a fiery frame, opening a window into a room with a young man ill in bed. This pilgrim lies sick in Léon. He is praying for God to heal him and that his sickness will go away as soon as possible. Will God heal him? Etienne asked in wonder. Yes and no. Not quickly. His belief isn't that strong. Prayers travel at different speeds. The more someone believes, the quicker and stronger the prayer moves. There is also a profound aspect to this man's sickness. It is actually a blessing in disguise. The pilgrim reached down and plucked a silver prayer from the air that was a yard and a half in length. He expanded it and Etienne saw a young woman with blonde hair kneeling in prayer through the silvery frame. God has called this woman to the Camino. She is a woman of strong belief and she has been praying that she will meet her future husband. The man who lies sick is the one God has set aside for her. Had he not been taken by illness, 
their paths would have never crossed, for she now travels with this party and is two days away from Leon. The old pilgrim motioned to the caravan, and there stood the woman who was in the silver prayer. Sometimes the things that seem to be our greatest challenges turn into our greatest rewards. Etienne looked around him in wonder. Not knowing what else to say, he asked, Are these around us on the Camino at all times? Yes. However, prayers move faster than sight, so they are imperceptible. Remember, there is power in prayer, and the Camino will provide not always what you want, but exactly what you need to fulfill your life's purpose. With this, the old pilgrim hit his staff on the ground once more and the prayers were released. They moved at incredible speeds until they disappeared, along with the old man. Once they vanished, the members of the caravan began to move again and Etienne was knocked to the ground. He looked up at the blue sky above him and laughed ecstatically. When Etienne composed himself, he found Ronan and told him the incredible story of what he had just experienced. When he finished his tale, Ronan shook his head in amazement, taking it all. He studied Etienne up and down. Describe this pilgrim to me. He was tall with a grey beard and wore a hat with a scallop shell. His eyes burned with a brightness like I have never seen before, and he carried a staff with a gourd on it. That is all I can remember. Well, I guess even a saint needs to pee, Ronan said, and started laughing at his own joke. He cleared a tear from one of his eyes. Etienne's forehead creased in confusion. What do you mean? You met Santiago, St. James, the Apostle of Jesus. Pilgrims travel thousands of miles to pray in front of his remains in Santiago de Compostela. He is the reason the pilgrimage exists. Do you know the story of how the pilgrimage began? Etienne shook his head, feeling slightly ashamed that he didn't know the story. I love that. Wow, what a great concept, the the picking up of the prayers. Right? That's a, yeah, I really like that. Wow, good for you, man. That's <laughs> awesome. What a gift to have found yourself. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel so blessed blessed to have had the experiences and just to have been given this gift of uh of the book, you know. I mean, that scene there, funny enough. You know, you asked me about writing things afterwards, but the, the Camino still provides afterwards, right? So I was actually showing pictures to somebody back home and I saw this silver thing just shoot across across the screen because it was in live motion. You know, when your iPhone takes live sometimes and you're like, oh, it's taking yeah, up yeah. all my space. Why did it just take a live photo? But, <laughs> but it had taken a live photo and this thing just shot across the sky and I was like, what is that? And then I was like, oh, it's a prayer of the pilgrims. And then from there, it... It uh, it evolved in, into this scene with Santiago, and this is just the very. That's actually the very first, like kind of spiritual concept in him. There's a lot more. Uh, like this book, this book is deep in that way. The sickness turning into a blessing. Well, that was based off my my first Camino, right? When I hurt my knees, I didn't understand that uh, I was hurt to be there for somebody else and to have that yeah. just amazing experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that was the lesson I took away from that experience that went into here. Um, you know, yeah. and then the power of prayer and like, why are some answered and why aren't like that came to me on that, actually that, that Camino as well. And like how different influences go in there. And so 
Yeah, I mean, I just I'm just doing the best I can with what I have. I, I don't have a publisher. I'm self-published, and I'm just doing the best I can to get this book into the world. Do you, do you see them as films? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I see these as films, and and actually, on the note, we've had some great successes. Um, right now, we have uh, the uh, some agents and not agents, but uh, distributors in New York are actually reading the first book. And so hopefully I'll hear back from them and we can get greenlit and actually make it into something. And then another like really cool thing that happened with this book as well is that uh, we won an Eric Hoffer award, which is one of the biggest awards in the self-publishing world. And um, it's uh, we won in the spiritual fiction category. And when I think of spiritual fiction, I think of like the alchemist or Siddhartha or uh, Celestine prophecy and to win an award in, in a category like that is, is awesome. I finished the first book. We just ran the Kickstarter for the second book. The rough draft of it's done. I'm, I'm in the edit process right now with my editor. Um, it'll be The second book will be out November 18th to the general public. However, if you're listening to this and you want to order the first book and second book, you can go to my website and anything uh, you order on there comes signed. If you want the first book, you can go onto Amazon. The name of the book is called uh, The Way Through a Field of Stars is the first one. The second book is Back Through a Field of Stars. And the third one is Home Through a Field of Stars. So The Way Back Home is, uh, is kind of the subtext wow. there. And that website is throughafieldofstars.com. You know, and please follow our, our Facebook page and uh, Linktree. And yeah, you know, I just, I love connecting with pilgrims. I, you know, I love all you guys because you've had these experiences. You know what it is to be walking on the Camino de Santiago. You know what it is to have these experiences and you know what it is to have these Camino families that just stay with you and are with you. And it's just, what a, what a gift to be able to give that to other people to inspire one person to go have that, you know, one person can change the world. Yeah. And you are changing the world, my friend, you know, um, it's interesting. You were talking about South, the book by um, Shackleton. Yeah. Shackleton's motto was fortitude in vincimus. By endurance, we conquer. I love that. It's so good. He's such one of my heroes. (laughs) There you go. By endurance, we conquer. I love that. And you've done it, man. You've done it. I would love to get this traditionally published as well and just get it into the hands of millions of people. You know, I'd like, that's, that's my goal. Inspire a million people to go walk the Camino and then have that fund, that Camino Pilgrim Fund to raise enough money to help people that can't afford it or think that they can't afford it, you know, and just, just give them that opportunity. So that's really, that's really what I'm working for. That's what I'm pulling, you know, like 16 hour days, me and my wife are both working on this and she's amazing. I mentioned her and everything. My wife is like the best person in the world and I love her so much and I'm so grateful for her help. This book, (laughs) I would have gone with the original book, which was not very good. (laughs) Had it not been for her telling me that it wasn't very good at the time. You, you know something? I noticed three quarters of the way through this interview, you kept saying, we, yeah. we, we. And I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. I do that for two reasons. It's not just me and my wife, but I, I crowdfunded this book. There was 280 people that helped make this book through the Kickstarter. And you know, without their donations, this book wouldn't have become what it was. So I don't look at this as my book. I look at it as our book. And for me, that's this whole series. It's not mine. It's ours. And it's a community of people making something awesome. And it's something I couldn't do on my own. Um, you know. And it takes a team of people to come together and make this happen. Now, traditionally published people have a large team. I've been forming mine grassroots 
and coming up and just, you know, doing the best we can. You're part of my team now because you're helping me here with this podcast tonight, helping me get get the way through a field of stars out there to pilgrims and other friends who, you know, want to get this book. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Brian, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. I wish you all the very best. Um, you as well. Yeah. Man. I'm coming to see you next year for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Listen, in the meantime, um, walk on. Um, good luck with it all. Stay in touch. And uh, I just always finish by saying buen camino. Buen camino, my friend. My guest this week, Brian Lucky Skillen, and you can find his book at throughafieldofstars.com, throughafieldofstars.com. My friend Carl Sticklemeyer sent me a video of an old song by the birds this week. It's called I Am a Pilgrim. It was written by Roger Miller, but there are versions by Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash as well. Um, The lyrics go like this. I'm a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this wearisome land. I've got a home in that yonder city, good Lord, and it's not not made by hand. I've got a mother, sister, and a brother who have gone this way before. I am determined to go and to see them, good Lord, for they're on that other shore. I'm going down to the river of Jordan just to bathe my wearisome soul. If I can touch the hem of his garment, good Lord, then I know he'd take me home. I am a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this wearisome land. I've got a home in that yonder city, good Lord, and it's not, not made by hand. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.